0: Here we are at the end of a year for the history books, and what a year it's been. I can't even bring myself to write a recap because that would take so much emotional energy to even Google. So here we are, and it's the last episode of Unchurchable for 2020. And I've had a few people ask, how am I at the end of what has been a dumpster fire of a year? And I'll say this I'm okay. I'm healing. I'm reconnecting with some beautiful old friends. I'm making some new ones. I'm getting out there and starting to do the dating thing a little bit. So far, that's resulted in far more hilarious no way stories than anything good. But hey, Melbourne's opening up again soon, and Mama needs some material for a stand up comedy career. Um, i'll let you know how that goes (laughs) christmas is next week for my kids it's so exciting for me not so much i know that for a lot of people out there this is a time of year when we have to navigate some difficult situations events and emotions so let me take a minute to say that self-care is only half of the way there you need self-compassion too And if you need to silence your inner people-pleaser in order to claim your right to celebrate this festive season the way you want to, with your boundaries firmly in place, can I recommend Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Go read it, it's a good book, or you can just take my word for it when I say that you are a factor in how you observe religious holidays. You get to make some demands of your own in terms of how you own it and how you enjoy it. So that's what I'm learning. Okay, so I'm proud to say that in my state last week a bill banning conversion practices, otherwise known as gay conversion therapy or sexual orientation and gender identity change efforts passed the lower house of parliament. Early next year, it'll go to the upper house before it becomes law in the state of Victoria, but this is a big moment. Actually, if you get a copy of the parliamentary transcripts from Friday of last week um, and play a little drinking game with my ex-husband's name, I think you'll find you'll get good and drunk. Um, I'm crazy proud that his story and the incredible work of the Brave Network and the Sojai Survivors Network has gone towards getting this life-saving bill passed. We're only halfway there though, and make no mistake, the right wing will be up in arms right now. So I'm going to say something that needs to be heard far and wide. Religious freedom is not the right to abuse, nor is ignorance an excuse to do so. There's a damn good reason that the UN calls conversion therapy torture. It's a dangerous pseudoscience rooted in and advanced through bad theology, and it causes irreparable damage. What would Jesus do? Not that. In fact, Jesus sent the disciples to look for the man carrying the water pot when they were looking for a venue for the Last Supper. Has anybody ever asked why a man was carrying the water pot? We often don't talk about that. The first Gentile convert was an Ethiopian eunuch look into it brothers and sisters it means he was both a person of color and a sexual minority I'm not even going to get started on Jonathan and David Naomi and Ruth Joseph Isaac and others you think the Bible is clear yeah it's clear God is for diversity God is for LGBTQA people church does not represent God in this matter and so we need to step up and make sure that our local MPs, especially upper house MPs in the in the country areas of our state, know how we feel about this. So if you have a story about your own battle with um, conversion practices in church, even the kind of or especially the unofficial ones, or you know the the non-course related ones, make sure you step forward and tell your story. Anyway. I'm stepping down from my soapbox now. (laughs) It is completely by coincidence that I'm interviewing a wonderful couple today whose project is all about bringing good education and awareness to trans rights and much more. They're an example of incredible bravery, insight, grace, and the complexity of navigating personal evolution, acceptance, and mixed orientation marriage, the latter of which I have a little bit of experience with as well. So please enjoy this session with Nia and Katie Chiaramonti, love in the face. I am Kit Kennedy and this is Unchurchable. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unchurchable. I'm Kit Kennedy and I'm here with Nia and Katie Karamonti. I'm so excited to talk to these ladies because I think they share one of the great passions of mine, which is uh, LGBT inclusion in faith and community. Um, I believe that stories are powerful, especially stories that take us outside the realm of our own experience and teach us something about humanity, about human nature and, and allow us to go deeper in our own um, you know, journey with faith and ethics and philosophy. So I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. Nair and Katie, how are you today?
1: So great. Glad to be here. i too,
2: and awesome.
0: Now, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and your your little family? I note that you've got a couple of kids that are, are just, you know, I, I use air quotes, just in bed asleep now because it's <laughs> eight PM where you are and not where I am. <laughs> so, tell me a little bit about your a little bit about your family and your how you got together.
2: Yeah. Um, well, let's see what to include in this story. <laughs> uh, it started, so it goes, yeah, it, it started a with the way. parents, right? So we met in second grade, oh, um, God. and we started dating when we were best friends in eighth grade, started dating in, uh, Junior. juniors in high school, mm-hmm. um, went to the same college, you know, we just really loved each other yeah. <laughs> so, and we did, we really did. And, uh, we got married when we were 21 and oh babies yes babies (laughs)
1: babies we didn't think we were babies but we were babies
2: yeah and uh i think we you know maybe waited three years for our first kid or five years i can't even remember now but um
0: and waiting is a is a an interesting term yeah right yes uh, you're Mm. yeah
2: you're supposed to um get some good alone time but don't wait too long
0: (laughs) yeah i think was (laughs) that
2: was the instruction (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yes So the first we had our first child, um, and then another one about sixteen months later.
0: Oh, uh-huh. uh, yep, sixteen months apart. My two were yep, uh-huh. far apart. Yep, yep. So yeah, so that was
2: interesting <laughs> for uh-huh. sure. <laughs> I'm sure you can attest. <laughs> uh, yes. And yes. then, and then um, after our third one came along, he's about two and a half years younger than mm-hmm. than his older older sibling. Um, we adopted. Uh, from wow. China and so Beautiful. that's how we and actually kind of stuck him in the middle he's our middle child um <laughs> so he's older than our was, was older than our youngest at the time and then um uh, yeah. just had our we have how many kids four fifth. five <laughs> 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 see I can't even remember just had our fifth child three years ago yeah
1: little um,
2: less just turned yeah. three yep so yeah mm-hmm. so it's been a, a wild journey uh and a lot yeah. of different deconstruction and church stuff, uh-huh. and uh-huh. along the way.
0: So yeah, so was the the young marriage kind of was that influenced by purity culture and the kind of you know hot topic issues of the day that good Christians don't have sex till they
1: get married? So <laughs> was that uh, well, part of your I mean, journey? Certainly. I mean, I don't know of anyone who grew up in that era that it wasn't. And, you know, we went to this really Mm -hmm. small Christian school. And Mm. I think we got out of school and we graduated from high school and... There were several students our first year out of high school that ended up getting pregnant right out of high school because yeah. we had had no we'd had no sex ed whatsoever, <laughs> and so it was like how did this happen? Because none of us knew anything even about safe sex, and so we we were definitely influenced by purity yeah. culture, and I think that that um, drive to get married. Yeah, it, it, we had the, we have an interesting story though, is because we were. Such good friends for such a long yeah. time too. I mm-hmm. mean, we were, but as kids, at like, I, we started dating when I was sixteen, and so we had a rule that we wouldn't even kiss until we were mm. a year yeah. into our relationship. That was whoa. We like, oh yeah, whoa. we were like big time purity culture. <laughs> we were like the poster children for conservative fundamental Christianity. Yeah, and it for wasn't
2: sure. it wasn't forced purity culture. It wasn't no. like a courtship or anything. So right. it was all all on us to figure that yeah. out and. We just really dated long enough, and we really wanted to have sex, so we got married. I mean, that's really what it boiled <laughs> down to. Oh,
1: but I mean, that's pretty Come reductionist. On. I no, can't say true. that we, we just got married for the sex of it. <laughs> but that's <laughs> funny, though, because...
0: I laugh because, um, you know, it was kind of a, like, uh, like in Australia, um, schools are quite secular for the Mm -hmm. most part, like, you know, um, and in high schools, you don't have religious education for the most part. Um, so when it comes to sex education, I mean, it was a real statement of faith when you get up and walk out of sex ed, like, you know, and, and then, um, And then often, yeah, and that comes back to bite people. But uh, like like you said, um, but what you said there um, about that kind of deep affinity that you've had for each other for a very long time, I can relate with. And I'll tell you a story that just happened now. For everybody else listening to this podcast, Melbourne – where I live reopened after COVID this week. It was a moment I was shocked by the traffic um, because I'm a new Melbourne resident, but me and my ex-husband, we just went out for a coffee together and um, we, because the kids are in daycare today and we're both working. So we're like, you know, we'll take an early lunch and we'll, um, you know, have a coffee together at an actual cafe, we'll sit down. And um, we, and then I was like, okay, I've got this interview, we've got to go and so i i was like oh you better go pay and i just assumed that he was going to pay for me and he laughed and goes well you better pay too and i realized i was like oh Holy shit, we're not married anymore, <laughs> mm-hmm. and like because the deep affinity is still there, yeah. even post him coming out as gay. Um, so it's it, that kind of affinity took us into a genuine, uh, a genuine marriage. And you know, regardless of the complexity that lies in mm-hmm. in a person's personal journey, that um, that connection can be very real there. Um, so you two run uh, a number of Instagram accounts. I note uh, Nia has one. <laughs> (laughs) Katie has one. You both have one called Love in the Face. Now, it's not like in your face kind of love. (laughs) It's about love in the face of fear and misunderstanding and and homophobia and transphobia. Um, Can you tell me about how that came about?
2: Yeah, I think... um, So, let's see. I came out uh, two years ago this last week really... At large, <laughs> to my family anyway, um, Katie. Before that, and we can talk more about that. Any of that, um, but I think in the last uh, year or so, I I've been out at work, and you know, I I'm um, the director of human resources at the the place where I work, and so I'm very visible, and I, I had a lot of people coming up and asking, you know. Hey, can you help a friend who has a kid who's coming out and and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing and i think rather than just keep saying um sure you know i'll I'll just give them my number um Mm -hmm. we decided that we would create this website uh that would uh be a a support for the trans community that we're we're a part of um and something that we wish i think i wish i would have had when i came out um mentoring someone to talk to um and just listen and help and be available Mm
0: -hmm. and that's how a lot of beautiful things come about isn't it it's going oh i wish somebody did this and then this uh, holy shit moment i suppose of oh i'm someone (laughs) maybe i should do it so um for those who haven't been along to your site and and knows um because i i don't believe it's ever my job to out anybody Are you comfortable telling me what you came out as?
2: Yeah, I'm a trans woman. Yes. Um, And yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey, to say the least.
0: Yes. Now, I I liked the post that you put up um, on your socials this week, helping around the language. Is a trans woman is what you are. and for some reason, people have real issues with, with the languaging. And um, I, I think this is why it's important to talk about it because there's, there's other things that we're used to saying, there's other ways that we're used to interacting, but this area of transgender or non-binary is a tricky one for people um, and it shouldn't be. But the only way to make it not tricky is to actually talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Katie, you said and you came out after Nia. What do you mean?
1: Well, I would say (laughs) I, (laughs) I, I would say for me, coming out was one of those things that was like, by default, I wouldn't even say yeah. that you, that you even come out as the spouse of a transgender person. Yeah. You just are kind of taken along for the ride. So oh girl, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My husband, yeah. yeah, Exactly. Yeah. There is just this kind of, it's a really interesting, there's so much attention put onto Nia as she's transitioning, which is rightfully so. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever even stopped to think about my own sexuality, my own gender, until yeah. Nia came out. Because, you know, here I am. I've been basically married or betrothed since I was 16 years old. You know, I knew Betrayed. I was going to marry this person. Like exactly. I mean, that's what it felt like because <laughs> yeah. you're 16. And at 16, I mean, I'm a real deep feeler. I'm a real mystical human being. And so yeah. I knew at, I mean, I knew probably as early as 14 I yeah. was going to marry this person. Yeah, And so, I never even questioned, I never even thought to think about what my gender or sexuality actually looked like until she came out. And then I had to think, oh, oh, wait a second. I've been attracted to a trans woman my whole life. I've been attracted. So, what does that mean? And so, there's not a lot, you know, when you have to go searching for your own gender identity and sexual identity, um, the supports for that are, I think, minimal. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's yeah. good supports for people that I think have a general idea, mm-hmm. but the supports for people who go, okay, well now I'm in a relationship with a trans woman whom yeah. I love and I'm mm-hmm. attracted to and I want to stay in a relationship with. So what does yeah. that mean for me? And there's not even yeah. any, I mean, I didn't have even any sort of language to even begin to describe that. So I would say as far as my own coming out goes is Mm. that I'm still in the process of doing that with myself and so it's it's which is a different position that you just don't hear about very often and I think as our society progresses we might see that more often of where you know as kids come of age as they come into their sexuality as they come into gender identity that they're it's more free to question you don't have to make a decision so that you can say no 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 I have to defend who, I need to know who I am so I can defend who I am, which is absolutely mm. valid. That, yeah. a, and many people do know from a very young age. But yeah. for those of us who question, there's not, there hasn't historically been, in my experience, a good place to go. I don't even yeah. have language for what I'm going through. And, and in many ways, I think so many people can relate to that because we mm-hmm. operate in binaries yeah. And so many gosh. of us live <laughs> in the gray, you know?
0: Yeah, yes, gosh. And it's really hard to move out of the binaries, especially when they've, you know, I did an interview with Jonathan Merritt. Um, a few weeks ago, and he did this whole beautiful wrap-up about not saying things in the binary anymore. Mm-hmm. And in the wrap-up of the interview, I reverted straight back to binary in terms of sin, not sin, good, not good, yep. helpful, not helpful, and I was like, oh, <laughs> there you go. I've just undone all that good work and I'm going to have to like... <laughs> but it's a real thing to to get our heads around in, in a lot of different ways, um, mm-hmm. this, this idea that something's either one or the other where... You know what? life's just complex, and um i I also I also have seen a photo of you two together as teenagers, <laughs> and then you two together now. You're both gigglers. That's really cute. Um, <laughs> and I have to say, um, it was very reminiscent of, because I've got another friend that I recon, I reconnected with after several years and like, it was more than a decade. And during that time he had actually transitioned and he's now a, he's a trans male. Um, and to me, I looked at this person and I was like, this is the most comfortable I've ever seen you look. Mm. Um, and it, like, it, it didn't make sense to me how he'd ever felt comfortable before Mm. um and in that moment i thought i've got to understand more about gender dysphoria and about what it is like for people so that i can be a better ally um because churches is a place that must be just so hard Mm for transgender people on either side of the kind of transition journey, however they choose for that to look. What was it like for you, Nia? How, when did you know? And what was your journey with faith and church like throughout this process? If that's not too hard of a question. Yeah, you know, that's you like, need a how much time do you have? For
2: this. <laughs> 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 um, let's see. So I think one of the hard things for me was not having maybe a, a typical journey, um, that I would Mm -hmm. see, you know, I grew up in the, we grew up in the eighties and nineties. So there wasn't a lot of representation of, of this on television and stuff. Um, so, you know, what I'm seeing is, you know, Jerry Springer and, and all of this other stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. And so Mm -hmm. when I, when I finally got to the point where I started to come out, I, the dysphoria that I feel, I guess maybe I didn't have a word for it. Um, but I also was happy with my life. Um, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I, and I, he- I heard these stories of, oh, I, I knew when I was three and I just never looked back and, or, you know, I, you know, just was so dysphoric my whole life and had so many, you know, yeah. depression and all this. And I really didn't hold on to any of that. I didn't have any of that. Yeah. And, um, so it was kind of hard for me to get where I could go, oh, I do see these things that maybe I wouldn't categorize as dysphoric, um, mm-hmm. But there are things that are taking up a lot of mental space. You know, I'm thinking about, I'm, um, you know, I may not be, I I love my life. uh, Yeah. But that's not, that doesn't mutually exclude me from also (laughs) needing to transition. Um, So I think I had to kind of work some of that stuff out. And for me, the church environment, um, I grew up very charismatic. So Mm -hmm. I started in a charismatic church that was i don't know um if you've ever watched jesus camp uh oh. used to be going around. <laughs> or, or if you've
0: ever lived jesus yeah camp. Lived uh-huh. jesus I mean. camp, that's right <laughs>
2: um so yeah if you if you understand the charismatic you know what i'm talking about and mm-hmm. I, I grew up in this environment it's very it felt very clicky uh yep. and and very just odd um but of course i went to church camp and i did feel like i I found something there at one point in my life, yeah. and, and whether whether or not I would use the same name for that now, I, I wouldn't, but um, mm. it's something that I think has stayed with me and given me a faith, and I think initially when I, yeah. I had connected with you, I, I really connect with your tagline of, you know, church is, is a hell no, <laughs> but faith is faith is a yes. And yeah, yeah. for me, my faith has kind of had a through line ever since I was young that I, I realized I was talking with somebody recently and they asked, I think it was actually you. You said, are would you label yourself as a Christian? And I said, um, I said, I, I don't think so, but I I also, my faith, my faith has changed a lot in terms of the theology, I believe, but my faith itself does not feel a lot different than it was. Um, so, grew up oh my in-
0: gosh, I just had an identical conversation with Patrick um <laughs> like a couple of days ago. I was cuz our bedrooms are just across the hallway. Our kids' room is in between. And I said to him, I don't, "Are you a Christian?" And he goes, "Nah." And then he goes, no, hang on, yeah." <laughs> and and he said pretty much the same thing and um you know, the structures that have supported, the the structures that kind of surrounded us, you know, five, six years ago are completely been obliterated um, in terms of of, you know, their presence in our life. They're just not um, and it's especially easy during COVID-19 to just stop going to church but the the depth that we've gone in our faith um, and I say ours, it's very much individual now but we've gone to a deeper level and had to scrutinize things to a deeper level. So that through line is, is still there, but Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's a complicated, when people ask you the question, I I go post Christian.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah. Define uh, that, define uh, that for me, please.
0: No, (laughs) no,
1: let's just leave it gray.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you know, I kind of yeah. It's it's a really tricky thing to explain, isn't it? But I, it, I can relate really hard.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's <laughs> been interesting, and you know, I, we came. I came from that charismatic background. Katie did not have that background. Um, we kind yeah. of met in an evangelical, you know, Christian school, um, and went to an evangelical church after we graduated, where Katie worked and yeah. had and had grown up. Uh-huh. Um, And she can tell you more about that but you know i i think looking back i just never bought into the system of church and so it was easier for me to let go of that in the end and i i don't know that i let go of it as much as it was yanked away but um (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think i do think i i ultimately made the choice to let go of it in the end yeah um so really, yeah. yeah. The last, the bulk of the coming out has happened in the last uh, three years, yeah. And in that time, Katie uh, was preaching at our church that we were at, and we were both mm-hmm. leaders there. And um, yep. yeah, we can tell you whatever you want to know and are curious about <laughs> about that process.
0: <laughs> okay. Well. Um, before we move on to that process, I suppose um, it's interesting that you raised the Jesus camp analogy um, because one of the analogies, like literal analogies, that was used at so many youth camps over the '90s and 2000s, um, when I was, uh, you know, young whippersnapper, was the Matrix analogy, the red pl- the red pill, blue pill okay. analogy. It must have made your heart just sing yep. when the Wachowski sisters <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> <well>. oh, <yeah. laughs> and said that that was actually a transgender yep, totally. analogy instead <laughs> of this kind of. Um, <laughs> Type of Christ salvation analogy that the whole world had used it for. Yeah, that must have been a beautiful
2: moment. Oh, it was for sure. <laughs> yeah, as a trans person, that movie just is amazing. So, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it. It's it's been on my
0: list for a while since yeah. I read that article. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so. So a lot of people, um, well, a lot of people, the people that I've spoken to within the trans community have have really had this varying different experiences with dysphoria. Um, And you don't seem to be talking about a high level of discomfort, um, but, but you also... It's interesting that you, you're kind of saying that these two things can be true at once. I can mm-hmm. be happy with my life but also have this sense that I need to transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can have a beautiful family, I can have a beautiful wife, I can have a faith and I can still know that something's not right. Um, was there kind of a defining moment that you sat down with Katie and, and had a conversation like this? Or was it something that evolved over? Clearly you two have been together for a very long time and, and by a very long time, I mean, what are you like 29,
1: 30? <laughs> <laughs> was, well, we're late we've been
0: 30, so thank for you. 17
2: years. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah defining moments. Hmm. How do yeah. you approach those? Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. And you may have different ones than I do. Uh, for for me, it's certainly and I'll say real quick to the dysphoria piece. I think once I acknowledged it too, I had more of it, which was kind of a oh, yeah. weird dichotomy. So um, I, that that definitely happened as well. But mm-hmm. defining moments, you know, I think I when we got married, like the first year that we were married, I mentioned something in mm-hmm. passing to you about mm-hmm. about myself. Okay. Um, and I don't know that, I I know it registered, but I don't know that you knew what it meant or anything. I didn't Mm -hmm. even. And, um, so I think from there until 12, 13 years into marriage, Mm -hmm. um, I, we didn't talk about it. I didn't really say anything about it. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I think (laughs) my birthday four years ago, um, Katie has always seen who I am and, that night she gave me a birthday present and she was trying to see who I let me know that she saw who I was and I I basically said well I don't think you know who I am and this is not (laughs) this is not what I want and um I I also had maybe had a like a couple of margaritas margaritas. for my birthday (laughs) so it it definitely helped the process (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that was really the the start in earnest of our conversations yeah um and then you know up to you know fast forward a couple of years um to two years ago uh in the summer and I had started going to therapy and Mm uh after a session just you know really realized what was going on and came home and You know, I'm driving home and thinking, oh, goodness, what am I going to do here? I kind of want to feel this out because I don't want to lose my marriage. So I want to like kind of know before I tell her that I feel out if she's going to be supportive. And then I realized through that thought process and uh, analysis that 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 wouldn't be genuine, you know, if she accepted me. And I kind of manipulated the situation for it to be like that. So I just came home and I think I waited for the kids to go to bed.
1: Maybe. I, I can't
2: remember. <laughs> <laughs> and I just said, I just said, I'm transgender. And what'd you say?
1: Yeah. I said, I know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. So at that point, I mean, she, I think you really had seen wh- uh, and yes. understood what was going on more than I did. Yeah. So that
0: that's, that's interesting. Um, cause really at this point in your history, what we're talking about is a mixed orientation marriage. Mm.
2: Um,
0: and again, this this wasn't word I didn't have words for this when I was going through it um and you know I and I'm because I'm a nerd I always search <laughs> for terminology <laughs> um but I you know because it was when my husband and I got together when we started courting we, we courted um <laughs> he said I used to be gay mm. and I inherently knew that that wasn't the whole truth, but that it was his truth at that time. Mm. And in my naivety and in my, you know, I'm a good Christian girl kind of lack of experience with the world. Um, I believed that that could be true mm. in my, uh, I'll just call it out. My good Christian homophobia at that time, I believed that, um, you know, I, I believed certain things about it, um, which I now i'm happy to name not just as untrue but as very damaging mm-hmm. um having walked through kind of his recovery from uh conversion therapy um his was a formalized conversion therapy mm. Mm. um and now i can kind of see now that i have words for it i can go okay you were never straight um <laughs> we had a beautiful marriage and you know in our marriage our situation is different everyone everyone's, everyone's situation is different, but. It's interesting for the straight spouse in a mixed orientation marriage. Um, we know, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> what was that like for you, Katie? And how did you look after yourself within this time and also support this person that you loved and love so much?
1: Yeah, This is such a hard question to answer because there's very little, I mean, I love that you say that you're such a nerd and you go searching for terminology because (laughs) I'm the same way. I I mean, I'm a preacher. I was a teacher by, you know, in the, in the faith. And so my job was to put words around things that people believed that they they didn't know how to put words around. And I, there is no words. At this point, there's just no words. And even if you go looking inside of the LGBTQ community, there's so little words for the spouse of a trans person who goes like, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I, you yeah. know, like, because yeah. I, and I, and to be fair, like, I am a very flexible person. I, yeah. I am a very optimistic person. Uh, for yeah. those of your listeners who are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah. let's do it. Yeah. But,
0: <laughs> just, you know, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. For right. this story. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, and and I think that for it, and it very much helped me that I was able to go, you know, I'm going to back up and I'm going to, Wait myself out in this situation mm-hmm. because I'm not going to be naive enough to think I know my full self uh, yeah. before I make a decision. And I think I want to be very clear that I think other people in my position could go, I am the straight spouse. I've always been straight. I don't yeah. question my sexuality. I don't question mm-hmm. my gender. And their stories could look very different and yeah. still be very – beautiful it could still be a very beautiful story like your story with Mm -hmm. your partner I think that that's a that's a beautiful story of supporting each other and letting each other be the best version of Mm -hmm. yourself and the most full version of yourself and so I early early on in the process I was listening to um, a podcast by Rob Bell Mm-hmm. Who of course is like the grandfather of all deconstructionists, right? Yes. He's like God <laughs> <Don't laughs> bless the time <laughs> I know from the time we all heard that first Numa video in 2000 yeah. whatever, we're like, "Huh? Okay, we're following you." So, yeah. he I mean, he'd always just been a place where I had kind of returned to and very similar in personality to myself. So, I was listening to one of his podcasts mm-hmm. and I wish I I really should go researching for it and find what it is because I talk about it enough I should know the episode but I don't want to go back and discover it wasn't really actually what he said
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but, maybe maybe save yourself from that moment. Right? everybody else can go researching it
1: but you know right we just like the
0: bits we want here.
1: it's <laughs> true them. so for me and in my perception which is another thing I've learned a lot about is that you can have the same experience with a lot different perception of it Oh my sure. gosh, I've had exactly this. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you, you keep talking. You keep yeah, talking. we can definitely circle back around to that because that's an important part of, uh, of growth. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. he, he said during this podcast, or what I heard him say during this podcast was that we're, we've been told our whole lives not to follow our desires and that that's not appropriate and that we should, should kind of shut down our desires in order to find yes. godliness. And what I heard him say was, actually, we should find our truest desire, and we should follow that, because that is the spark of divinity within us. Our truest desire is our spark of divinity, which... God bless Rob Bell, if that's really what he said, because that was a divinely inspired moment. And God bless me yeah. if I just made it up, because that's oh, good, yeah. I think. God bless somebody, but that,
0: I'm, I'm throwing that in amen.
1: Oh, but so I, I thought in that moment in the car when I was driving, listening to that podcast, probably bringing a kid back from therapy, our, our son back from physical therapy, <laughs> yeah. I, and I thought yeah. what, my truest desire here is... I I love Nia. I have been in love with her practically my entire life. And Mm -hmm. I want to continue loving her and building a life with her till the end of my life. That's what I want. And so then it made everything else kind of, you know, like in a movie where everything else blurs and you see the one thing that like the person really is like, oh, that was what it felt like. is Okay, I'm going to examine everything that stands in in the way of me yep. and this true desire and so yep. and i um, that process was not short right. <laughs> you know and so in a- the movie
0: about your life this is the bit with a, with the fabulous soundtrack moment, right the montage and you're <laughs> right. driving in the rain and it's like <gasps> exactly. yeah I, I'm visualizing this exactly. so, yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and then you do the next year and a half is the montage of like we're fighting and then we're happy and then we're making up and then you know and then she's figuring out herself and I'm figuring out myself and the end of the montage is we finally come to a place where both of us goes, it's time for you to come out to the world
2: (laughs) and we're going to stay
1: together and we're going to be happy. And, and so, (laughs) but I think we got to that point where both of us came together and then it was like, you, we cannot hold this in any longer. And if you hold in who you are any longer outside of our marriage then inside of our marriage is not going to be able to be sustainable any longer because yeah. the rest of the world needs to know you the way that i know you so the rest yeah. of the world can know me the way that i know me
0: mm-hmm. bam that's yep. amazing and i'm just saying that the soundtrack for that montage uh, ron pope a drop in the ocean that's the that's the song that i've got in mind for <laughs> your movie that i'm flooding right now i love, um, it. Okay. I that, love it that is it it's a really powerful thing that you're saying there because um One of the unhelpful things that I have encountered just around evangelicalism broadly when it comes to, um, you know, LGBT issues is often there's this kind of narrative of, well, well, you can be who you truly are and, you know, just yourself just you know but nobody else needs to know but you know humans we're tribal creatures we need to belong we need to be seen we need to be known for who we are Mm -hmm. that crippling sense of i can't be who i am in public is a big deal um Mm -hmm. and you know you you can't pretend to be i think i think that repression of self is an incredibly damaging thing um Mm -hmm. and I I really love what you've just said there because who you truly are couldn't be known to the world until Nia was known to the world. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So, well, uh, and I, think if I can, just a second. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that that's such an interesting argument. I'm just thinking of it now is because if, if you do believe in this idea that God sent God's son, as Jesus into yeah. the world, even God, God self needed to be known in human form. Like it would, it would Ooh. It's counterintuitive yes. to the Christian yes. narrative to say that yes. you can just hide yourself forever because uh. even God's self didn't want to be hidden from humanity. God self uh. wanted to come into the world and be touched and touch and heal and be healed. I mean, like the, wow. it's, it's, counterintuitive to the Christian narrative to say that you should hide yourself away because even God, God's self wouldn't do that.
0: That is amazing. I love that. And I'm marking mm. that as the quote that I'm going to put up on the Instagram. <laughs> that is, that is so interesting that I love that. I really well, do and I love think, that.
1: I think that's why we lose out so much when we don't listen to queer voices, any yeah. marginalized People group when we don't listen to their voices is because mm. like a, a queer person hears someone say something like that and goes like, duh, I know because God wants to be known. I want to be known. I mean, it's such a part of our own divinity. Like we yes. we want to share ourselves with the world. And I think that when we're in the majority all the time, it's hard yep. for us to understand what it means to really need to be seen. At the way the, that spirit yeah. needs to be seen, the way that God expresses God's self in the world. And this um, this whole
0: conversation right here brings up a struggle that I think is not unique to you or I, is oh. probably a broader struggle um, when we've grown up with this idea of, you know, deny the flesh, put away the flesh, you know, um, we we compartmentalize ourselves into good and evil and we learn to despise parts of ourselves that can be never given full expression and sure you know some parts of yourselves should be suppressed like you know sometimes when i'm walking along at a like a, a shopping center or a mall as you call them in, in the united states <laughs> i have this desire to spill my lemonade over the over the you know the banister and just see what happens to the person below i should suppress that part of me <laughs> but it's not an important part of me mm-hmm. um, you know we we should abide by the law um but it, when when it comes to the expression of life within us, which is mm-hmm. the expression of divinity within us. And I've been so challenged by these deconstructionists that are holding on to faith and are actually saying, You cannot separate God from us, so therefore, you cannot separate us from God. God mm. is in everything, God is in the expression of who I am, God is in that expression whoever i am and however i identify and it challenges me to the core because i've come to believe that part of myself is evil um Mm. and it's not a helpful and it's not even an accurate belief because god made me you know it's it's uh yeah um and i just kind of another thought that's been kind of floating through my head um is that you know you both changed over the course of your marriage from the, you know, the the young couple in school, uh, you know, the, the the apparently heterosexual couple that you were in school, mm-hmm. to this, this beautiful family that you are now. Neither of you is the same person that you were 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we don't actually mark that... That, that evolution's not really obvious to the rest of the world. They still see, and I'm really conscious of it, people that I knew 10 years ago see me and think I am who I was 10 years ago. And <laughs> I'm just not, like, mm-hmm. even on a cellular level, I am renewed. Um, but, you know, I think this, this journey of um, the transgender journey that you've been through, Nia, um, it's confronting for people because it is actually an embodiment of that journey of reinvention that a lot of mm-hmm. us, you know, mm-hmm. go on, but it's never that, that kind of obvious, or it's not often that kind of obvious. Does that make sense? Was that yes. terribly no. transphobic? I, I hope, it, hope it wasn't. I'm kind no, of absolutely heartily not. Heartily.
2: It's, it's 100% <laughs> what I walk around with every day is that you yeah. get to confront yourself when you mm-hmm. see me. And that's, mm-hmm. that's part of, I think, what makes life as a trans person hard is because, you know, for me and, and the people who, are around me that don't um, want to look at themselves. Yeah. Uh, they just transfer all that junk right to me when they see me and interact mm-hmm. with me. So it's it's kind of unfortunate. But, you know, it's yeah. it happens because people don't want to look at their own growth and their own transformation and they're confronted yeah. with it. And so they have, they have no other choice but to just push back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this is really um this is really important i think because i was was chatting to someone from the brave network nathan despot um the brave network is a network for um lgbtqia uh people of faith and their allies in australia and they've been putting together some language around so so we can tell basically whether whether or not churches are affirming and i love this one line from it that says about god's intended diversity God's mm-hmm. intended mm-hmm. diversity. And when I heard that, it just resonated so much because when we crush a person's expression of self, we're crushing part of the rich tapestry that, that God intended the human race to be and that every element of another person um is, is, you know, it shows us something about ourselves in the manner that we react to them. So you just had so much better words for it than what, <laughs> <laughs> what I did, Nia. Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's so good. The intended diversity, I think oh, it God. just, it so speaks to, you know, to, to even get there, you know, I just love that. You're crushing, you know, God when you cr- when you stamp that out. I think yeah. for me to even get there, I had to get to a place where, um as you said earlier, I was created, I'm created good yeah. Mm-hmm. and understanding that, you know, I yeah. am a representation of who God is. And I think, you know, the folks who have come out to have not accepted me have said, well, thank you for coming out because now you can crush that sin that you've just exposed to the world in the light of day and we can not take care of it. <laughs> <Ooh>. and, <laughs> and it's Ooh. rough because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just a completely different place. Uh, than where yeah. I am now, which is, no, I am good oh. at my core. And I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not evil at my core. Um, mm-hmm. And actually it says that I think right at the beginning of the Bible, if I remember right. But yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Something
1: very good. Very good. Made. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 Very good. It was very, very
1: good. good. That's the, word. yeah. But
2: yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a completely, you know, every, every argument that we've had, every uh, debate at, you know, it, they're not debates anymore for us I mean they're, right. they're our life mm-hmm. uh, but every time we have these conversations with people it ultimately boils down to the other person seems to think that we are just sinful evil terrible people and we disagree with that
0: yeah <laughs> right yep I disagree with that mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah and and I think I mean, the fact is this podcast will reach the people who are already willing to self-reflect mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, where, and where this message actually needs to reach the people who aren't mm-hmm. <laughs> And it, because it is when we project all of that, you know, all, all of that hatred and all of that transphobia and all of that, you know, negative energy at someone, that's not about them. It's about our own, you know, judgments and the health of our internal... Mm-hmm you know self that's that that seeks to take authority over somebody else's expression and crush it um something that that's not in our power to do because we'd be crushing god um you know but i'm a i'm a hardcore kind of ally (laughs) um (laughs) what do you wish more christians knew about the trans experience broad question yeah yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) um that's a hard one mm-hmm. I I think <laughs> just that it's the same as as theirs you know as a, a, a heteronormative Christian person it's it's the same you know we have struggles we have victories um, mm-hmm. if our theology is similar that is it's you know mm-hmm. it, it it looks the same um, the difference is there are a lot of people who don't want us around which is yeah. like a big difference <laughs> yeah and you know i you, we try to we've talked to a couple of people here a couple of legislators because they tried to do some reworking of the laws here in our mm-hmm. state to kind of take away some protections recently and we sat down with them and talked with them and um they just didn't know mm. they, they just didn't yeah. know what it was like that you know they were just flabbergasted that to marry people um we're sitting in front of them. They were flabbergasted, yep. uh, you we know, that we had faith. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was just like, no, we're we're normal people, uh, but your action is really harming us. You're you're mm-hmm. making it so my employer can fire me <laughs> by putting mm-hmm. a law yeah. into place. And yeah. so I think, you know, we are, most of us are very regular <laughs> workday people, and, yeah. <laughs> um, but. Yeah. It's really hard to to move through the world when a lot of people use you as their the spot to dump all of their self reflection because they yeah. can't handle it. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Because it's actually nothing threatening. There's nothing threatening <sighs> about a transgender person. Like no. the, the bathroom issue. Mm. Bloody hell! The bathroom Bloody, issue. Mm. Bloody hell! <laughs> is so true. I, I, like you know, yeah. I mean, there's so mm. many just. Like, I think I can call them out as just stupid things Mm -hmm. that people think. Um, But when we project them at somebody who is going through a very deeply personal um, process of transformation, transformation that often isn't acceptable to the people who are nearest and dearest to them – you know, this is a really dangerous thing. It can have some really dangerous repercussions on mental health and on, you know, um, yeah. you know, all sorts of ramifications, financial health, if it's, it's related to employment, housing, um, you know, all sorts of kind of flow-on effects. Now, it, it sounds like you've been able to maintain a lot of stability throughout this whole process, um, perhaps by luck, perhaps by design.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think... Um, our relationship has kind of been at the core of it, which has been really yeah. the the main thing. Um, my workplace, uh, my work in education, mm-hmm. and I am in charge of human resources, so that's yeah. an interesting spot to be in. Um, and
0: <laughs> oh, you want to fire me? You're gonna yeah, have to go yeah, to human
2: resources exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you, and you usually have to go to human resources to come out, and so I, you know, it was yeah. just a whole different thing. Um, but yeah. they've been super supportive. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that the main thing that has not stayed stable is our church environment, Um, because when I came out, that disappeared, essentially. So, yeah. um, Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Tell me more about that. (laughs) Oh, she just motioned generally (laughs) in my direction. (laughs) Tapping out, Katie. No,
2: uh, I mean, I can start, but I think a lot of it centered on Katie, um, which was interesting. So. Um, So I came out to—I I actually came out on a whim to my family a couple of years ago. On a whim, by the way. On a whim, by the way. Lunch. I'm <laughs> transgender. It it was, see was, you later.
1: <laughs> pretty pretty much. Um,
2: <laughs> I was just angry with something our president yeah. had done to take away rights and and. I knew I was transgender, nobody else did except for Katie. Yeah. And I thought some night na- in naivety thought that if my family knew that I was trans and they would definitely not support this thing and yeah. um so I just emailed oh. and said, you know, oh. this is what's happening.
0: And how'd um, that go down?
2: It didn't it didn't go down wonderfully. It was <laughs> like uh, you know, it I just wrote an article about this and I, I think the first day was great. It was we love you unconditionally. That was mm-hmm. it. Um. Oh, mm-hmm. What well, that seemed better than <laughs> great. better than I thought that it. Was and if you could go. have
0: just maybe lapsed into a coma for the next three, <laughs> right. uh, it would have been, been. Well, yeah. they grappled with the meaning of like that. Yeah. Might have been okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: The next day, though, I realized very quickly it was. Oh, thank you for tell Again, like I said, thank you for telling us about your sin. Now we can help you destroy it, and we, you brought it into the light of day. Obviously, we'll destroy it privately. Yeah. You don't tell anybody yeah. else about it. Right. And. Um, hmm. That was by gonna your sin. Happen. We mean
0: your personality.
2: Yes, right, exactly. And, <laughs> Who you are. that. Yeah, And I, I'm an Enneagram nine, and there's there's something um, that is known as right action for Enneagram nines. Yeah, and I'm a one wing nine. I don't okay. know what
0: that means, but I'm a one wing. Nine. Okay. Well, <laughs> for, for
2: me, the the a right action is you know we we don't like conflict, and yeah. we do everything we can to avoid it, mm-hmm. um, and. But when we do go into conflict, maybe on purpose, we're doing it out of a knowledge of it's it's right for us. Yeah, um, and it happens yeah. a handful of times, you know, in in somebody who has this personality's life. And for me, this was one of those cases. And yeah. I, so I had got to the point where I deconstructed, you know, all these things where I'm a good person and 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 all mm-hmm. of that, and was able to say, no, this is this is me, and. Yeah fortunately it was able to deflect a lot of the stuff that was given back to me, but, um, yeah. you asked about church, I think. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I got there. I got to start. Um, so <laughs> I ended up coming out to our leadership at church maybe a week or so after that, uh, that mm-hmm. I came out to my parents. Cause I just kind of knew it was going to, it was going to yeah. move. The community here, the evangelical community, we, you know, we're half a million people, but, um, it's very small and, <laughs> so the the prayer chain works very quickly the um, prayer
0: chain yeah the gossip mm-hmm. chain was, right you know a yeah. little <laughs> bit of prayer tacked on sometimes yep. can we yep. just call that one out exactly thank you <laughs> yes uh,
2: so i i did that and then we ended up um uh, talking to the there was 10 of us leaders we ended up talking mm-hmm. to the rest of them maybe a few months later um and it was an interesting conversation it was a conversation where the pastor just let everybody go around and say what they feel, which mm-hmm. isn't a real safe environment for a trans person looking back. You know, oh, gosh. I, there were things that were said that.
1: That's hard they, to get out of your head. It, it
2: just ring. They just ring in yeah. your head over and over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: and this is why um, the LGBTQ population is so at risk of mental health issues. Absolutely. More so if they engage with church because church is not a safe place. No. No. For people who are queer or questioning or going through this kind of, you know, process of evolution, um, this is incredibly damaging. And I will repeat that as often as it takes for churches to realize the power they have in this moment to damage someone permanently. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Back to
2: you now. Yeah. No, I am grateful that I have a supportive spouse and a support network because, I mean, those things truly they still ring in my head and I'm, um, I'm very yeah. supported and, um, but well, and
1: this is one thing that we want to be able to do with love in the face too, is that if faith communities want help, ha- helping navigate yeah. how they move through someone's coming out that they can have support yeah. too. Yeah. So someone can step in and go like, Hey guys, don't say things like, Oh, we love you, but you're broken, but we'll allow you yeah. in here. Don't say yeah. that shit. That's not yeah. okay. Like, yeah. let us help you not be yeah. assholes in this process. <laughs> I mean, you said we could swear, so that's what I'm just going to say. But that's... that's a fairly
0: mild swear word. I mean, yeah. Uh, but no you buts know. in I love you. Unless there's a – but no, that's a comedy routine, not for this podcast. Right. <laughs> no, the, there should be no butts after I love you. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's what we want to be able to do with Love in the Face, mm-hmm. too, is be able to come alongside a church leadership and say – listen, there's a way that you can navigate this, and it's going to be difficult, but yes. this person matters more than yes. whatever kind of thing you think you have to navigate. Listen yeah. to this, you know, So and, and provide that web of support as they move through it because it's not yes. easy. I mean, you can't. No. It, it is not easy.
0: And I think that the important thing to to think about here is who we cast ourselves as in the parables that Jesus <laughs>
1: right. taught
0: in the bible because when we hear the parable of the 99 sheep and the one lost sheep and the good mm-hmm. shepherd we always think of ourselves as the lost sheep mm-hmm. but in actually in most in most cases we're the 99 mm-hmm. we're the 99 that are hanging behind and you might be going well why is the shepherd spending so much time over here and you know but who is that sheep like a lot of the times the judgmental church Mm -hmm. The non-affirming church, the exclusionary church is the 99 and that one over there is the deconstructing Christian (laughs) is the, you know, or the, the, um, you know, the, the Christian who's coming to terms with their sexuality or gender identity and who is coming out and the damage that can be done in that moment is, is profound. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a thing so how can churches support transgender people and lgbtq people in their journey of coming out
2: listen listen um Mm. you know for me after after i came out um there was a lot of need for others to control the narrative and control Mm how it how how that narrative got distributed and what was in that narrative and um there, there wasn't even any, no listening to begin with, so there wasn't even a mm. uh, knowledge of what the narrative was from my perspective, yeah. um, so listening interesting. is Interesting, yeah. yeah, interesting.
0: And, even while you're f- struggling to find the words for it, listen in those moments. Absolutely. Like, right. Yeah, because it's important to be able to work through that in your own time.
2: And, and it, was, it was very easy to see too what would have worked because I, my workplace was doing something different yeah. And so I, I could easily see what that was. And we were kind of saying it at the same time, uh, which was mm-hmm. let us lead because we actually were leaders in the church. And yeah. so, you know, it was a little bit of a different situation where Katie was preaching yeah. and we were leaders and let us lead through this because we know how to do that. And we, and we were willing to, I think that's maybe a, not mm-hmm. everybody has that margin when they're, you know, yeah, coming out, true. but yeah, we were willing to do that. And you have to be willing to step back as a church and listen and allow somebody to lead in their own experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm. It's interesting that Katie's role in the church was kind of impacted, sanctioned because of, (laughs) uh, um, because of what you were going through. Now this is, it's interesting to me because it echoes a lot what I've seen when one spouse is going through deconstruction, the other spouse is often punished. Um, And you know, I know deconstruction, and I've, I've used that analogy because I mean, deconstruction can re- can relate to a whole lot of people. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, it's a much smaller percentage of the population who are transgender who, or who have to mm-hmm. you know grapple with sexuality. But this is an important thing to sit on. Like, you don't punish people for revealing their most vulnerable self to you, right. um, and to come in, and coming to the house of God where they should get support. Um, yeah. That's a thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: What do you think your workplace did well, uh, the HR department, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, said, they said you
2: take charge and you you do it, you know. And, you mm-hmm. know, for me it was easy to write communications and, and that's what I do for my job. And yeah. um, at church I, I said I need to come out and the pastor said, well, just wait, just wait, just wait. And I said, well, I yeah. need to come out. And we finally went to a Richard Rohr conference where – I mean, the the (laughs) inclusivity that I felt in that conference made me go, I have to come out now. This was incredible. And I came home and I said, I got to do this. And he said, fine, if you're going to have to do that, then this is how we're going to do it. And it wasn't how I envisioned it. It wasn't how it probably should have gone. Um, And ultimately, you know, the thought was that we're an affirming church. Um, Mm -hmm. we're, We're saying that out loud anyway um yep. that we get to stay in leadership we get to stay i mean that language right You've there is a the problem
1: allowed. we're we allowing have you start
0: upon you the yep. blessing of staying <laughs>
2: so that should have been a little bit of a, a warning in, in hindsight it, it was um yeah but it
0: was, yeah it's in the nuance that the detail lies yes
2: it? yes and so mm-hmm. I, that was said and fine uh, as soon as there was any pushback on that um Katie just got scapegoated for her, her preaching and you know, she was preaching stuff from Roar and others. Um, Mm -hmm. that was maybe more progressive at the time. Um, yeah. And ultimately all of the transphobia in the church got laid at Katie's feet.
1: (laughs) Uh. Yeah. (sighs) I think going back to the original question of like how your workplace did such a good job and like people who have done a great job through this, have just looked at Nia and gone, okay, what, what can we do? Like, how can we best support you? And we've had people that are like, I don't even know what transgender means. This is confusing to me and I don't understand it, but you know what I do know? I know you. And so Mm. because I know you, I yeah. am here for this. And so I'm yeah. going to learn as much as I can. I'm going to understand as much as I can. And people who have educated themselves and made sure that they know what they're talking about and that they don't yeah. open their mouths and say things and that when they do say things that they think might be construed as offensive, which by the way, everyone who's ever said, I don't want to seem offensive. When I say this almost always has been like, Oh, you're so sweet. Like you're just asking me yeah. a question, but people couch yeah. it that way because we have had so many terribly offensive things said to us. But like your workplace did so well and people who have loved us so well throughout this, the people who have done it the best have, I feel had so much empathy. And there's a huge difference between sympathy, which going like I feel bad for you, and empathy which is I'm in this with you. And so whatever it takes, we're in it together.
2: I think think the Big, the biggest thing, you know, there there are allies who it was, it's super easy for to support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing, though, is those people who were uncomfortable by me coming yeah. out to them who were willing to examine why they were uncomfortable. Exactly. Um, they yeah. didn't put it on me. I, we have a good friend who I came out to her. You could tell she was uncomfortable. She did not mm-hmm. put any of it on me. And she took it back. She researched, right. she read, she did all of her own work, examined why she was uncomfortable with it came back in a week and said, I get it. I understand why I was uncomfortable and I'm, I'm not as uncomfortable anymore and I'm going to continue to work Mm. on that. Um, so yeah, it it was, it was huge.
0: Yeah. A big lesson. Examine your discomfort (laughs) (laughs) because your discomfort is likely not about the person in front of you. It's about the person inside you. Um, and yeah, I, I find that really, I think that's a really good advice. Um, I don't know whether you, you relate to this kind of statement. A lot of people, I think we started talking about it before and then kind of went off on a tangent, the, the suggestion within kind of non-affirming, non-affirming churches. If you've come out in a non-affirming church, um, my suggestion as a Jesus-loving human Maybe that's what I am. Um, anyway, um, is get out of non-affirming churches if you're going yeah. through this journey. Just take a break. Just, just you know, you do you um, because God is in you. God is, you know, that that's an important thing. But um, the suggestion from non-affirming churches that you just repress the side of you that is unacceptable. Um you know, and we can call it repentance or we can call it conversion therapy or sexual orientation or gender identity change efforts. we can call it what we like. but what we're asking people to do is repress a part of them that actually forms an integral part of their identity. and what the, what happens then it doesn't disappear. it becomes like an ulcer, it becomes painful, it becomes hidden in shadows. it becomes a bigger and bigger thing instead of being a healthy expression um and when we ask people to repress in the name of god or in the name of the community or in the name of these friendships that they want to hold on to what we're actually doing is putting pressure on a person to the point where they they cannot tear into and survive Mm -hmm. they have to choose one or the other and you know it's what we want to be able to do is actually support people so that they don't feel like they have to tear in half, yeah. like, right. So they don't feel like that, you know. And that is a, that's a feeling that you really—it's hard to understand unless you've been through it, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's 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 you nailed it. I mean, that's exactly the description of it. I think for me, after coming out to my family, it yeah. would have been way harder to then turn around and and repress it again i mean i it just would have mm. it would have crushed me
1: yeah yeah uh, you would have been an- yeah. unable to yeah mm-hmm. And there's no reason why you should. I mean, I think this is exactly like the conversation about Jesus coming in human form. And that's because God wants to be known. You know, this is the same idea is that when we tell people to repress it, that is to me, if I was going to label anything as sinful, I would say Mm -hmm. that is sinful to ask someone to repress, which I'm very careful to use that word. (laughs) But um (laughs) <laughs> to ask someone who is not yourself to repress something that is actually quite beautiful and natural and yeah. seen throughout. I mean, we see all sorts of gender diversity and sexual diversity throughout the entire known natural world. It's it's yeah. saying suppress something that is so natural and so beautiful and so such a great representation of the divine. I mean, spoiler alert, the Bible
0: is full of it. <laughs> Hello.
1: it's. Uh, I remember the first time I heard someone say that Jesus was queer and I thought, oh no, we are in for it. And then. Oh, you didn't. Oh, <laughs> I really haven't I, heard that one yet. Oh, gosh. So, and then you look at it and you go, this is the reason why Jesus was queer is because Jesus was so willing to say, I'm not choosing A or B. I'm choosing Everything in between A and B. I'm, there are uh-huh. so many nuances between A and B and that's a queer outlook. You know, that yeah. is a queer way of looking at the world is yeah. I refuse to either look at look at either option that you're giving me. I'm yeah. looking at the full range. You can't even understand. Yeah. And yeah. that's a beautiful way of looking at the world. And that's what yeah. Jesus gave us was the permission to look at the world that way in love. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I'm sure, like, uh, I think a lot of people would really struggle to see Jesus as a sexual being, if any. You no, know, but God invented oh, girl, sex, guys. I don't know. If Jesus is a sexual being, <laughs> I
1: would totally go there. <laughs>
0: I remember reading, reading the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown, which of course features this undercurrent of Jesus had a daughter named Sarah. Mm -hmm. I was on my way to China, um, with my family when I read that book and I ever so righteously tore it up at the end and lost it in a bin at the airport. Um, but yeah, I have never heard, I've never heard that theory of Jesus being queer before. I love it. Jonathan and David were obviously, you know, they were a thing. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) There's some interesting theories also on, um, Joseph being transgender yeah yeah yes. um, and the thing of it is too, you don't
1: have to be sexual to be queer i mean that's the other thing too that's is right the way we Asexual look at our gender also, yeah. exactly mm. exactly the way we look at gender the way we look at sexuality the way we look at the world yeah. is just different and, mm. and good and, and yeah. holy it's holy yeah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i like to be
0: yeah hmm, i really like what you've just said there i'm gonna have to do some reading on this um there's just there's just so much in this kind of topic and you know i chose to kind of keep my podcasts under an hour and i've just kind of stretched it out to an hour and 15 i can see this becoming a two-hour podcast in the future but um you know that day's not today (laughs) so i think something that I've, I always ask, um, I ask people cause I, cause I've learned from a, a beautiful, um, trans woman that I am blessed to know. Um, I said, how, how, how do I, how do we talk about this? Like, you know, how, how, how do I be a good ally? And mm-hmm. she said, she encouraged me to always ask the question, to ask it with love and humility, um, and to to realize that um, trans people are entering a whole like if, especially if they're early on in their transition we're entering a whole different world like for her it was entering a world of makeup and shoes and you know (laughs) (laughs) like all these things that she didn't know um so to be able to actually enter these conversations with humility um to be able to learn how they're comfortable being addressed in terms of pronouns um to for me refusing to use someone's dead name Mm -hmm. um so, you know, if you've told me your name's Nia, that is your name. I'm not okay. calling you anything else. <laughs> um, okay. I've heard of some other non-binary people who go, okay, on the days when I feel more masculine, call me this. On the yeah. days mm-hmm. when I feel more feminine, call me this. So their friends, their allies go, okay, what what would you like, how would you like me to address you today? Um, so... How? What are some of the big communication things? The big hot spots that people get really wrong. That you would like to, um, you know, give us a list of no nos, if you're comfortable doing so now.
2: Yeah, I just, um I actually, I love just... hearing
1: Katie's little giggles on the other end. <laughs> I'm it's giving okay. myself away. I'm...
2: <laughs> I just wrote a chapter in in something that may be a memoir or something someday about dead naming, And I think that is really one of the biggest things because what deadnaming does to somebody is it immediately, for me, it immediately makes me feel doubt about myself and who I am. And it makes me go, why am I not seen this way? Because this is what I'm trying to be seen as. And maybe now I need to go above and beyond what I actually want to do to present a certain way and and go outside of myself, which isn't good. I mean, we lose ourselves in that process just from Mm -hmm. one dead name. You know, I can have that line of thought. So I think that is a huge, huge thing. Um, Yeah. Asking pronouns is is super important because, Mm -hmm. you know, there are so many different ones now and, you know, non-binary folks. Um, Yep. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, those are, I, I'm pretty simple. Like they're, <laughs> you know, we're, we're dealing with this stuff at work with language inclusivity and policy yep. and stuff. And, um, it's, it does boil down to some very simple things that if don't consistently can make all the difference. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah. 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 You know, mm. I am huge. I'm very passionate about names. I think names, yeah. there was a time where our families were saying, or, Certain people in our families were saying, uh, "We're we're happy to have you around, but we just can't change this name." And there came a yeah. point where I just said, "Excuse me, excuse me." Yeah you call dogs by their correct name like this <laughs> is this is a fundamental building yeah. block of human yeah. relationship to call yeah. someone by their name and yeah. as far as i'm concerned if you cannot call someone by their name you do you don't have relationship with them yeah. so a, a, and especially yeah. i would say to any trans person and this is very difficult and it is heart wrenching but if someone mm. cannot call you by your name they should not have access to you it's like um, yeah. the, it is the absolute first entryway to relationship with you. That's how yeah. I feel as an ally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would go to the bat for that. Um, Any single day. And that's
2: why we started (laughs) love in the face because I can talk to a trans person and say, I totally get not wanting to cut that relationship off because I wouldn't either. And Katie can say, well, you should value yourself enough to cut that relationship (laughs) off. And we can have that dialogue with somebody because we had it with me. Right. And
1: we can say to parents and to friends and to clergy members, like even if you disagree with someone, you're not getting anywhere if you can't at least say their name, say their name. Say their pronouns, and for goodness sake, stop asking what they're doing with their genitalia. Like, these are... Oh, my gosh. (gasps) These are three things. Names, pronouns, (laughs) and just don't ask about something you don't want to talk about yourself. Because you have brilliant lines for for that, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I just just say, we'll talk about mine after we talk about yours. Yes. (laughs) That
1: pretty much shuts down the conversation. (laughs) That is so funny because...
0: um, When I was pregnant with my son, I, look, when I'm pregnant, I'm just, I'm like the Goodyear blimp, like I'm freaking huge. (laughs) And um, I remember being in the line at the drugstore, the chemist, use these both American and Australian terms (laughs) and there's all these women were talking about my body and oh you know carrying fluid here are you doing this carrying height, blah blah you must be about this far along or are you sure it's only one and they're talking about my body and I was I just stood there and then eventually went are you all done because I've got some comments about your bodies and my goodness didn't the crowd Mm -hmm. scatter
1: (laughs) you know (laughs) um,
0: but it's it's about personal agency here and you know nobody has the right to dictate how another person looks or dresses, or grooms themselves, or any of these things. Why do we think we have the right to ask about
2: the
1: genitalia? Mm-hmm, right. Oh my Absolutely. god, this is horrific.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of lessons here, but I think um I think it's a conversation that uh, I'm really glad that you two have stepped into this this place and especially it's a fairly fresh thing in your lives like Mm -hmm. you're still navigating this i'm Mm -hmm. sure with your children and your your tribe and and stuff like this so to step into the void here in a very you know foundational time of the next chapter of your lives Mm -hmm. it's a very brave thing to do um and i i truly do thank you for for doing that as as a service to you know other people that are kind of coming along this journey or that will come along this journey, but also to churches that are willing to sit back and Christians that are willing to actually examine their discomfort and go, how can I be, you know, a better ally? How can I be a safe place for LGBT people? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, examining our own discomfort and not making it about the person in front of us is a big learning for me from this and also um, from this chat and also about not crushing the ways in which God reveals the divine to us because yeah. it's right in front of us. What is life like for you now, Nia, now that you're living as your true self?
2: It's, um, it's wonderful and terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's a whole new set of things. Um, I think I just, I've been out, you know, I, I've used the women's restroom for the last year and a half I think just mm-hmm. last week I said to when I came out of the bathroom, that was the first time I looked at myself in the mirror in there. Like, I stopped long enough to look mm-hmm. in the mirror. So, yeah. you know, just just a lot of new things. But, you yeah. know, I, nothing that I would ever trade back. Um, yeah. You know, I, I would much rather have those thoughts about, you know, how am I supposed to navigate the restroom than, you know, how am I supposed to live my life like this anymore, yeah. you know? So, um <laughs> It's, it's wonderful, and it's it yeah. can be terrifying at times as well.
0: Uh, as a, yeah, I, I actually, I relate to this um, in very different ways, but, you know, the there's this misnomer that we only come out once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not true. Mm-mm. You come out every time you choose. A restroom, yeah. don't you? Yeah. You come out every time somebody that hasn't seen you in a long time sees you again. Yeah. Um, and there's this, this vulnerability that you live with for a long time. And if we've learnt anything from research, a.k.a. Brené Brown, is that <laughs> vulnerability and courage are inextricably linked and that people who are willing to sit in that space of vulnerability for long periods of time while they kind of adjust and, and the, the world around them adjusts. <laughs> Mm-hmm. um these are the most courageous people on the face of the planet so your courage is is so noted and and so applauded and i love seeing the dynamic between the two of you as you've embraced this um, this this journey of evolving together, I think the healthiest couples are the ones that evolve together and see the evolution in each other and see the growth in each other and applaud it and make space for it and you've just done that so beautifully so thank you for sharing your journey with us today, tell us about where we can find you on the socials and on the interwebs
2: yeah, um, you can go to loveintheface.com and learn all about you know the stuff that we offer um, and we're pretty much doing all of it for free You know, we want to mm-hmm. while we still can um, Uh, We want to be able to help churches, help businesses, help trans folks and others who are in the process of coming out, Mm -hmm. um, family members. So lovingtheface.com, at lovingtheface on Instagram. Um, My Instagram, my personal Instagram is at hmm. I don't know. What is my
1: Instagram? I don't know what it is either. It's (laughs) that. (laughs) You just find it on there. Find it through me. Go to it's, at love in
2: the face on Instagram and both of our Instagrams right, are linked it. on there. Oh, my gosh. Oh,
1: I'm not a good it's,
0: self-promoter. It's at Katie Caramonti, which is go. K-A-T-I-E-C-H-I-A-R-A-M-O-N-T-E. She knows. <laughs> That's the first time I've read somebody's Instagram handle to them on this podcast. So there you go, guys. We had it here okay. first. <laughs> um Yes, look, I I jump on, um, you know, jump on those socials, follow along. Uh, You two post such wonderful content and are really open and honest about your journey, which um, again, vulnerability is courage and courage is something that that you two have in spades. So thank you so much for coming along today. I feel like we could have delved into the theological and cultural aspects of this to a much deeper degree, but perhaps um, that is something that you'll have to follow along on the website and, their socials for katie and nia thank you so much for being on unchurchable today i'm, I'm Kit kennedy and we'll catch you next time